For a biopharmaceutical to reach its full potential, to reach the most patients and cure the most disease, there must be lifecycle management. I'm Jeff Stewart from Sineos Health Consulting. I'll be joined today by Tim Arndt. Tim is a managing director from Sineos Health Consulting who works in Santa Monica, California, and is an expert on lifecycle management in large pharma and small. Lifecycle management next on the Sineos Health Podcast. Tim Art, welcome to the Zinnia's Health Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. So we're talking about life cycle management. What do you mean by life cycle management? Is that end of life cycle management or the whole life of the pharmaceutical product management? Yeah, life cycle management really should be done early in the initial phases of development of the product, extend through the development of the product all the way through launch and then through commercialization. And starting early in the process is ideal in terms of an optimal life cycle management plan because that allows you to pivot and have long-term revenue and life cycle opportunities for the brand if you start early and you plan early. That is probably the most surprising part of talking about life cycle management that I've heard is that you're thinking about it from the very beginning. And I don't know quite why, Tim. A lot of companies are just trying to launch the product as well as they can. Do you really have to think about what comes after that? to make your launch good. And I guess I'm struggling a little bit with that. Why not just have a random walk through launch, doing the launch as well as you can and life cycle takes care of itself. I think that's a common misperception and misconception, quite frankly, because what companies end up doing that I've seen a lot of is planning more for the commercialization of the asset and spending a significant amount of their resources in terms of people, time and money at the launch. And then once they launch the product, they get two to four years away from patent expiry, then they start thinking about life cycle management. But in the purest sense, if you're going to go through a development program, be one of the select few agents that actually gets approval and gets marketed, then it makes the most sense to really back up early into the stage of that product and analyze what are all of the different potential areas of opportunity for that asset very early in the clinical development stage, because then that way you can line up and map out all of these potential opportunities early. And even some of those opportunities and things that you've identified can be incorporated into the clinical development program as phase two endpoints, or also additional areas that you want to look at in terms of the asset, even if it's not in the core indication that you're looking at for launch, because that will inform you as to the opportunity and the performance of the product later on, should you decide to pursue one of those additional indications and whatnot. Are indications the key to this? That is, if you think about life cycle of a product, you're, you're thinking about managing which indications come up and when, or is that too narrow? No, that's too narrow. I use that as an example. Life cycle management entails everything from pricing strategies all the way through packaging, reformulations, delivery devices, et cetera, as well as indications. It can also be around publication strategies as well. All of the things that might complement that brand or allow you to pivot into a new therapeutic area or opportunity for the product really is considered a life cycle management, either tactic or strategy. What are the big levers that you can pull for life cycle management? You mentioned indication. I think if you break it down a little bit by the product and market and subset it from there, it makes sense. From a product standpoint, you have multiple opportunities to look at life cycle management in terms of the product itself. So as you described, potentially an indication. 
The second component of that might be a new novel dosing schedule. Third component could be packaging. If you're currently in a pre-mixed bag and you want to go to a pre-filled syringe, for example, or if you're in a multi-dose vial and you want to move into a single unit of use vial, things along those lines would be product specific. And then if you think is market specific, then it's identifying what are the unmet needs in the market and then trying to tailor your brand to that. So if you know that you have a signal, let's say, in therapeutic area or in disease state X, there's no reason why you can't do some proof of concept work and also some supporting clinical work to identify if that makes sense in terms of a potential full clinical program if you've identified an unmet need and you've identified an open market. So I tend to think of it as product lifecycle management opportunities and then market lifecycle management opportunities. And which ones do people miss? Both. I think they miss both. But I think the natural reaction is to launch the product, develop the asset in the core indication. And, and, and I'm not saying that they're at fault because a lot of companies have limited resources. They have one shot on goal. Some of these emerging companies obviously have funding hurdles that they need to meet. They might have business development components or collaboration agreements that tie them into certain actions or certain clinical development programs. And so I don't think it's necessarily an intentional miss, but it is a miss that can occur early and it can occur late and it can occur with respect to the actual product itself or even a missed market opportunity. But I think there's a lot of influencers that come into play in terms of why companies don't pursue a solid lifecycle management strategy early and efficiently. As I'm thinking through this, it seems like it's a prioritization exercise. I want to do this. I have this many resources. Therefore, I can do this, this, and this and go forward. And I'm wondering, what do people spend on that they really shouldn't have spent on? Because there are a lot of things you could spend on. Sure. I think there's two components to that, right? I think that some companies are forced into making decisions that are more short-term than long-term, especially the smaller emerging companies. I think it's resource-driven, number one. In some cases, it's survival mode. I mean, they've got one shot on goal. They need to make sure that they get that shot on goal before they even worry about anything else. And so they spend a majority of their time and energy up front fundraising and then moving towards one particular opportunity or indication. But I think Big Pharma misses it a lot as well. And it's not a function of resources as much there, I don't think. My experience is that it's a function of highly matrixed organizations that toss the asset over the fence at various stages. So in other words, there's not a consistent team that manages the asset from clinical development, from phase two through phase three, into product launch, into commercialization, and then the harvest mode. There could be seven, eight, ten different groups or subgroups of teams that manage the product throughout that process. And so I think continuity with big pharma is a significant issue and one of the big misses. And I think with small pharma and emerging companies, it's a resource-driven constraint. That's interesting when you say continuity is one of the big misses, or at least can be a miss from larger pharma or large pharma. It makes me wonder whether or not you just lean into that. You just say that I'm not going to have continuity. That's the reality of the organization and the world, and it's not changing. So I want to be hyper-focused on short-term goals that everyone can understand, and then there'll be a next short-term goal after that. 
or is that just a trap? I think that might be a trap, but fundamentally, our business cycles don't lend itself to long-term thinking, unfortunately, because if you think about it, if you're a public company, it's quarter to quarter. Now it's kind of month to month. It's almost day to day in terms of managing the business. So from that standpoint, life cycle management becomes secondary in terms of thought because you're trying to manage day to day the revenue streams and the opportunities that you have for your existing assets. I think the long-term planning opportunity takes significant discipline and buy-in at the most senior levels of the company because the external forces to manage the business on a day-to-day, month-to-month, and quarter-to-quarter basis are so extreme that any deviation from that can be seen as a significant distraction. So where do companies go from here? Let's say you're a small company and you think that you've prioritized correctly. You have limited resources. Do you do something about life cycle management at the beginning, or do you wait until you have more resources so you can do something about it? Well, I think there's two different components to that, Jeff. I mean, the first component is planning and the other one's execution. And there's little to no reason why a small emerging company that even is semi-resource constrained can't be the planning for a solid life cycle management program. There's nothing that prohibits them as they're developing their asset to look at how can they optimize this resource and this asset over the course of its lifetime at the planning stages and at the early stages. And it's the same with big pharma. Execution is different, though, I think, between big pharma, mid-sized pharma, and emerging companies, because that's when the real resource reallocation, for lack of a better word, or the spend comes into play. There's no reason why any company, be it big, medium, or small, shouldn't be doing life cycle management planning at a very, very early stage. And then the execution component is going to be contingent upon how well they perform, obviously, in the clinical program, and then what kind of funding they have to launch and manage the product. Now, the life cycle management component and strategy with a small company to me makes even more sense because a lot of those organizations are looking at business development collaboration agreements, and they're looking at how they can raise money, quite frankly, and how they can extend the life of their organization. And so having that life cycle management program to me is a bit of an insurance policy, even from a BD standpoint. And doing that early and doing it effectively pays off in the business development cycle. You know what occurs to me, and I don't know if you've run into this before, but when we do even just diligence work, we're preparing a company to be outlicensed. So we're doing a forecast or something as important but narrow as pricing work. From time to time, you find something that's just completely messed up with a product. The wrong study was done so that physicians don't like the outcomes or the payers don't, the dosing is wrong, the packaging is wrong, something's wrong that you find through the process of doing this. And isn't what we're hired to do. We're not hired to find out whether or not the packaging was wrong. <laughs> the payers hate the packaging as an example, but that shows up in there. And I'm wondering whether or not life cycle management exercises where you're going through and saying, what is our life cycle? Even if it really doesn't identify something from the life cycle itself, does it identify and help you cure problems that are existing in the products now? Well, it certainly gives you a roadmap. Instead of the ready, shoot, aim approach, which I think we see with a lot of organizations, and again, I think most of them are forced into that ready, shoot, aim mentality because of the short-term constraints that are placed on them financially. But a good life cycle management program should be looked at, in my opinion, the same as a good business plan. So if you're going to have a business plan for fundraising, you're going to have a business plan if you're a larger company for actually driving the business. The dreaded annual business plan, right? Every company does it. 
the life cycle management plan really should be the business plan of your clinical development program and your revenue optimization program. The business plan should be more of a short-term optimization plan. The life cycle management plan, in my opinion, should be your long-term revenue and product optimization plan. And if you do that correctly, then you update it on an annual basis. You track, measure, have dashboards the same way you would from your regular business plan. And if that's done correctly, it's more of a long-term proposition, but it pays off in spades in the end. But most companies aren't willing to dedicate the time and energy up front to put together what I would call their long-term strategic business plan, which is in essence, your life cycle management plan. So those that do it and do it well, who owns it? Is it a C-suite sort of activity? Is it the brands themselves? You know, that's the million dollar question, right? Because then we get into turf wars because the clinical team often says in the development team, hey, this is our product. We're going to manage the clinical program for this. And you marketing guys stay away. The marketing group is generally busy trying to deliver on the weekly, monthly, quarterly nut that they have in terms of revenue. So I think this has to be done at the most senior levels of the company, specifically with the chief operating officer or the head of commercial or even the CEO. That doesn't mean that they're doing the work, but it does mean that they put this as one of their priority projects and they monitor, track, and ensure that all of the deliverables are being met. And until that accountability is put into place, I've found that most companies just kind of kick the can down the road. Well, there's lots more to talk about, Tim, but I think for now we can leave it at there. And thanks so much for talking through lifecycle management, something I don't know much about. It's an exciting, interesting facet of the business when it's done correctly. And I think that there's kind of one thing I can say, it's it takes dedication and it takes some limited resourcing up front, but it's a little bit like investing in an education. It's hard to go through and it takes time and energy, but at the end of the day, there's a payoff there. So I look forward to speaking with you more about this subject and it's near and dear to my heart and I appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, Tim, for joining us on the Cineos Health Podcast. You bet. Thank you, Jeff. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life.